Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Welcome back to Freak Flag Flying, my ongoing Osiris podcast series probing the rich, adventurous, weird, and wonderful legacy of David Crosby, whose work in The Birds, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, CPR, and now on a series of albums recorded with young geniuses like Michael League of Snarky Puppy, singer-songwriters like Becca Stevens and Michelle Willis, and his own son, James Raymond, has succeeded in transforming and deepening the sound of popular music several times over. In the next two episodes, we'll talk with Cross about the creative renaissance he's experienced by working with these young musicians, and in particular, about his new album, For Free, with James as his primary collaborator. By sheer mind-blowing coincidence, my conversation with Cross happened at Hyde Street Studios in San Francisco, which was called Wally Hyder's Studios 50 years ago, when he recorded one of my favorite albums of all time, If I Could Only Remember My Name, with the cream of the crop of psychedelicized folk musicians from bands like The Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane, the so-called Planet Earth Rock and Roll Orchestra. It's a very special place, and the vibes in those studio walls were classics like The Dead's American Beauty and The Airplane's Volunteers were recorded made our conversation even more thrilling. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Steve. Hi, Dave. It's great to see you. <laughs> and it's, it's a freaking cosmic coincidence that we are sitting in this room at what's now called Hyde Street Studios, but was once called Wally Hyder Studios. Mm -hmm. And it was here that you made a couple of albums, actually, but one album that stands very, very high in your history, If I Could Only Remember My Name. So, David, you are about to come out with another album in an <laughs> astonishing creative renaissance in the last few years. And one of the things that has spurred you on to that renaissance is playing with cool, sexy, brilliant, talented young people like 
Michelle Willis, Michael League, and Becca Stevens. Um, how has playing with those young musicians inspired you to make really, what is it, five albums now, I think, in the last few years? Them and James, mm -hmm. who's not as young as they are, but is much younger than me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what I think, man. I think that when you get to the end of your life, and I'm certainly at the end of my life, you peter out as a writer. I say that because I watched all the writers I know do it. Right. Great writers. Stunning writers. You get to the end, yeah, okay, the, the great moments come less often. Mm -hmm. I think my writing with my son James, who's now gotten to be, if anything, even better than me, writer's that good. Michael League and I wrote three of, of my favorite songs in the first three days that I knew him. Yeah. The point is, those people, them, those yeah. two, yeah. and then Michelle and Becca. Yeah. Becca is probably one of the most amazing writers I've ever run into. Yeah. I'd give her a notch above almost everybody else I know. She wrote Vagrants of Venice on Here If You Listen, correct? Really good. That's one of my favorite Crosby-related songs Well, I wrote time. a good set of words, right. man, and I trusted her because she is odd. Yeah. And she does go to places other people don't. And I trusted her, and I won. Yeah, Vagrants yeah. of Venice is a great song. Fantastic. So is... Uh, uh, by the Light of Common Day. By the Light of Common Day, man. It's yeah. two of my best songs. Yeah. She wrote the music, both of them. Yeah. And she's good. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, point being, and she's not the only one, you know, McDonald's written with me a couple of times. And we're Michael, talking about Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald is a yeah. wonderful writer, man. Yeah. Uh, the... What these people have done, particularly the young ones, is extend my useful life as a writer by probably 10 years. Yeah. Uh, because I'm not afraid to, to write with somebody else. I'm not trying to hold on to all the money or all the credit yeah. or, you know, say, oh, it's only me, I do this right. by myself. I yeah. don't need that. I right. need a great song. Imagine two painters. They have two different palettes, two different sets of colors. If they both work on the same painting, get a better painting. Yeah. Have more colors to work from. The thing I love about writing with somebody else is they always, every goddamn time, think of something that I didn't. Yeah. That's part of why you do it. Because you get a wider scope of ideas and creativity. And it's worked for me. These records are... Yeah, I'll give them excellent. I think they yeah, are. Yeah, they're excellent. And, and I mean, Cross, Lighthouse, Sky Trails, Here If You Listen, and Now For Free. These are five of the best records I've ever made in my life. They are. And, and a lot of the credit has to go to these people that I'm writing with and, and to me for being open to that. For me to being smart enough to spot somebody when I and say, that's a person I want to write with. Because I do know about chemistry and I do know about songs. And I've been kind of instinctively and intellectually at the same time, you know, 
going for it in these situations. And I think I, I think I was totally right. You know, the proof's in the pudding. They're good songs, and they make you feel stuff, which is their job. So, hooray for me. Hooray for you. And I, I wanted to ask you, uh, your first experience of really getting deep into collaboration uh, when the wheels started falling off the CSNY mothership um, was working with James and uh, Jeff Pivar, the guitar player, in CPR. Um, did it feel like a liberation to you to be able to write new songs, write songs for a band who actually cared enough to rehearse mm-hmm. your new material? Yeah, yeah there is that. <laughs> right. uh, it felt like a wonderful chemistry, man, mm-hmm. uh, mainly with James. Uh, James and I can write, mm-hmm. and that is really a largely due to how good James is. Uh, it, my credit, I'm a good writer. I can, I've written some good songs. But the credit for me goes to being willing to do that, being open to do that, because what happened is stunning shit. And we wrote stunning shit together. That I, I don't want to even start opening up the pantheon of, of stuff between me and James, but it's mm-hmm. deep, mm-hmm. deep stuff. Mm-hmm. And some of the best songs I've ever written in my life now with James. This is James Raymond joining our conversation from his home studio in Altadena, California, to tell us about meeting his famous and infamous dad for the first time when he was already a successful musician, writing scores for popular TV shows like Roundhouse. So I was adopted at a very young age, probably three months, and my adoptive parents did not know who the birth parents were. Only that they were in the arts somehow. Um, so, you know, cut to uh, 30 years later, I'm about to get married to Stacia, the love of my life. And my adoptive parents said, you know, now might be a good time for you to search for your birth parents. Uh, since you're getting married, you're starting your own family. Um, you know, and I, I hadn't done it before, just because I didn't want to hurt their feelings or for whatever reason. And um, so I did. I kind of initiated a search uh, through adoptive services here in L.A. County. And uh, very soon after that, they put me in touch with my birth mother, Celia, who was uh, living in Australia. At, and, uh, and, you know, we met, we spoke by phone and had a very tearful reunion on the phone. And then we met when she came over to the States for my wedding in uh, 94. Um, and at that point, you know, well, let me back up a bit. So when I went down to post-adoptive services and to find out, you know, everything I could find out, um, they brought out a book that had my whole history and birth certificate. And that's when I saw David Van Cortland Crosby's name on the birth certificate. Um I didn't really put it together at that moment. I thought, you know, maybe this is another guy named David Crosby. Uh, but through some musical channels, I found out his name wasn't, his middle name was, you know, in fact, Van Cortland. Um, and so then it just kind of all made sense. Like, you know, I, I've been doing music my whole life, um, started very young. And that kind of uh, made it very clear where that, talent kind of came from, at, at least part of, at least part of it. 
Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I had that information. Uh, I didn't act on it right away, uh, only because I thought it would be weird, you know, for me to just ring him up and say, hey, uh, I know it's been a while, but <laughs> here I am. So I, uh, you know, we, Station and I got married uh, soon after we had our daughter Gracie. And, um, you know, I, I just started uh, thinking about should I approach him? How should I do it? Um, that that all changed when I got the news that um, David had to leave a CSN tour because he was deathly ill, like near to dying. Uh, needed a, a liver transplant. Uh, it didn't look good. And um, I, that's when I kind of stepped up my efforts thinking, well, you know, Maybe he would like to meet me if if something bad happens to him. Now would be a good time for me to kind of act on this. Um, so I uh, I was working with a guitar player, uh, Marty Walsh, um, on a television show at the time. And one day he just said, hey, you know, um, he knew my story and, and that I hadn't contacted David. And he said, I know uh, CSN's keyboard player, Mike Finnegan, um, and I can... I completely in touch with him. I said, well, that, that'd be great, you know? And so he did. And I called Mike and, uh, we had a great talk and, <clears throat> you know, I said, you know, I'd like to meet David if he's willing or has any interest in that. Um, and at that point, I think David had already undergone his liver transplant and was doing okay. So he was kind of out of the woods, but not completely. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, Mike uh, said, well, yeah, I'm going to go see him in the hospital um, and I'll ask him about this, but I, you know, I don't want to kill him with the news. So I uh, was kind of waiting for him to um, make that connection. And uh, a few weeks later, David called me uh, one morning and we spoke and made a plan to meet uh, when he had to come down to UCLA for some post-operative tests and things. And we agreed to meet, um, at UCLA medical center, like outside the cafeteria. So that was the day that we met. And that was also the day that Stacia, my wife was to be induced into labor with Gracie. So, you know, it's kind of a, a wild day, uh, in the fact that I met my birth father and became a father, you know, in a 24 hour period. So it was, it was pretty wild. And it, you know, it, it was kind of great timing in a sense because I was so preoccupied as you can imagine with Gracie's arrival that it took a little bit of the, uh, the importance, the, the nervousness out of the Crosby meeting. Um, I had kind of more important things to get to, <laughs> but you know, we met and we just, uh, kind of instantly hit it off. You know, we started talking about our lives and, and started talking about music and bonding over music. And, uh, we became good pals pretty quickly. I would say it was, it was once we met in person and, and saw each other and started talking, it was not awkward at all. And it was, it wasn't weird. It just became kind of a friendship, a brotherhood more or less. I think 
more people should do it. What happens if Bob and Joni try to ride together? Yeah. Nuclear explosion? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what happens if... Well, you and Joni wrote a song together. Ethan we did, it was a good song. It's a great song. I met her in a French cafe She slipped in sideways like a cat Side long glances but a weary little straight Yeah, it's kind of a, a, a discouraging event to write with Joni. Mm. You give her some really good stuff that you really like, and she just takes it and runs to the goddamn horizon with it. Yeah. She took it yeah. and just went. Yeah. The, the, the picture that I gave her sparked her, and she had a, okay, I see that. And Paris bloomed right there, and that girl in this little clicky spike heels. You could see yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. It's... um. And you had not you had not collaborated much before. You'd written Broken Bird with Nash, uh, and there, Wooden Ships. Wooden Ships, right? With with uh, Kantner and uh, Stills. Yeah. Wooden Ships was the breakout. That's where I started doing yeah. it. I really hadn't been willing to do that at all with anybody until Stephen, mm-hmm. and Stephen swung so hard, and the birds didn't. That's why he pulled me. So hard, he swung. My biggest criticism of the birds didn't swing. Not like that. They wouldn't know a push beat from a beat. You know, they, they, it's just not their thing. Still, he swings hard to yeah. this day. Yeah. He can't help it. He swings. His groove is a real groove. He makes you move. Can you hold still to still this music? No, you can't. You cannot. Absolutely cannot. No freaking way. You'd be dead. If you're in, in, listening to Stephen Stills play and you're holding still, they should bury you right away because you're going to start to stink. Yeah. I woke this It's a large thing that uh, I probably never told anybody this, but it's one of the main reasons I got out of the birds and and went to try and work with the, with Stephen, mm-hmm. as good a musicians as they were. And God knows, I give credit to Roger for being a really good musician, but uh, they never in their lives swung like that. They they don't know how. And you and Stephen, when after the birds, when you were shopping yourself around to try to get a new recording contract, you and Stephen actually did a session together as, quote-unquote, the Frozen Noses. No, somebody else came up with <laughs> that. Somebody name. else came up yeah. with that. I was B. Mitchell say, Reed called it that. Oh, B. Mitchell Reed did? Yeah. Yes. And yeah, Mitch was the one who did it. We who was, by it. the way, one of the cool, the coolest DJs. Jock at that time, yeah. The thing about those tapes, yeah. and they're, they're, they show you that we didn't know how to make records yet. Right, right. But they show you another thing. Mm-hmm. They swing stills. If you can get him to play with you, it's yeah. gonna swing. He yeah. can't do anything else. It, it doesn't even know how to not swing. He can't do it. If he picks up a guitar, he's going to make you move. It's something in how he handles time. 
He's just a damn genius at it. Well, he grew up in South America, did he not? And a large part of, of it, swing yeah. Down there. And the South. <laughs> yeah. And he was a, yeah. a blues freak, you know. Yeah. God knows blues musicians understand time. He, uh, but he's a, a talent. He's a, he's a, a damn genius at it, man. Do you guys still talk to each other? You and yes. Steven? Yeah. We. That's good. We uh, we good, good, good. we uh, we text each other. I hear he's a very good writer as well. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Very. Yeah. He's he's really good wordsmith, and he's still in there. He just can't hear you. He's got he's got deafness. He's deaf. He's deaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You turn it up to eleven every night for fifty years. That's what's going to happen. Right, right, right. Neil's right. deaf too. So is Phil, actually. Yeah. He told I know. Me. I just yeah. saw him. He had an idea of, of trying to get me and his son, and and my son, mm-hmm. you know, father son thing. Mm-hmm. Just get a drummer, try something. That would be cool. It'd be interesting. His son's a pretty good guitar player, though. I give yeah. him that. And mm-hmm. Phil's interesting. It's just, I don't really, I don't know if I've got the energy to build another band, another chemistry at this yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got two really good bands, mm-hmm. two really good record producers. If I've got any energy to do anything, I have the window there. You know, I, it is a little difficult that, that Michael moved to Spain. Right. Because I don't. League. Well, I would yeah. love to go to Spain. Yeah. But spending, you know, Eight hours with a mask on in a airliner is uh, a little much for me. I think yeah. I, if I could get Michael and Becca and Michelle to come to Santa Barbara, well, then I might. Yeah. I might. Yeah. I might try that chemistry again. It's a really good one, man. It's very contributive and very open, and all, all four people get to really, really influence it. I'm not the main guy. Yeah. Everybody's pretty much equal contributors. Yeah, I actually sat in on some of the recording sessions for Here If You Listen, and I could see that chemistry in action. There's it was good. wonderful. There, and there, were no, there was no, like, you being the rock star. No. No. Uh, no. Everybody was generous and And listening. into it. Yeah, and into it. And Michael is a really good producer. He's really good at it. Yeah. And he, he's got a wonderful sense of, of, he's a really good composer and a really good producer, both. Mm-hmm. And Beck and Michelle, man, they're smart and tough and strong, and these are not shy women. They they are strong artists, both of them, and, and they got an opinion, and they're not afraid to tell you. Yeah. And that makes for real chemistry. Yeah. So if I could get that going again, one more time, I'd try one, make another record there. And James and I are already trying to make another one of, of ours. After for free. Uh yeah. Yeah yeah. We yeah. can't help it, you know. He and yeah. I, it's just what we do is make up songs and. We already got some more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got one going, man. That's that's. Uh, I've got one going. Well, there's a guitar. There's a piano. Have at it. Yeah. No. <laughs> anyway, um, so let's talk about uh, the songs on for free. Um, one of them, you got to uh, collaborate with your hero, Donald Fagan. Boy, um, that just knocked my socks off. When did you first hear Steely Dan, and how did it strike you? I think the first time I heard Steely Dan was on the radio. Probably that. Probably uh, Ricky Don't Lose That Number. Right. That's a great fucking record. Yeah. Well, I loved it because it was complex and it had real chords. Then along comes Asia. And Asia is probably the best record I ever heard. Maybe. Of yeah. all. The top number one record in my life. Uh Followed really closely on the heels of it by Gaucho. 
So they gut punched me two years in a row, you know, or two times in a row over the space of yeah. two years, something like that. I don't think I'm ever going to experience anything like that. Yeah. Donald and Walter, that's one of the best chemistries that ever existed. God alone knows what those two guys are like inside, you know. Yeah. But, man, could they do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The words, the chords, the melodies, the producing, the recording, Donald singing, their structure, their, it's just so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. And it creamed to me, absolutely creamed to me. And I've been trying to imitate them ever since. I'll steal any lick I can. They're just wonderful. And I've been trying to befriend Donald ever since I first met him because mm. I respect him so much. I think he's one of the finest musicians in, in the world and, and writers and singers and players and everything. And uh, I, I, didn't, I wasn't trying to work him, but I wanted to be his friend, you know. Mm -hmm. But in the back of my head, you know, I thought, well, maybe someday I'll get to write with him. Because mm -hmm. I'm always, you know, since it works, I'm always looking to do it with anybody good. Knopfler. I'd like to write with Knopfler. He's a really yeah. strange and wonderful guy. But uh, I, I, so I did ask Donald, you know, you don't have any, like, stuff laying around that you didn't mm -hmm. use, do you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, the first nine times I dropped yeah. that, he said no. Oh. And then about the tenth or the eleventh time, he sent me those words. That's a really good set <laughs> of words. It's a great little story song. Yeah, Rodriguez for one night. Yeah. You know, David and Donald uh, had developed a friendship over the years um, when we were making this record. Out of the blue, like a gift from heaven, Donald set, sent us the lyrics to Rodriguez for a night and uh, said, you know, see what you can do with these. And I was pretty scared shitless of screwing it up. <laughs> it's because here's one of my all-time idols, heroes, musical heroes of the world. And I knew he was going to hear the song, obviously. Um, and so I, uh, I just tried to, I wasn't trying to make a Steely Dan track, but once I put the lyrics up on the piano and started playing, it, you know, Donald's lyrics, they almost dictate a melody to you. At least they did to me. When, when I was, I just read them over and over and the melody just kind of presented itself uh, magically. It was, I could almost hear how Donald would approach it, you know, and I thought, well, that's, you know, if you're going to do something with these that honor this great story <laughs> of, uh, you know, this guy, Rodri this, this guy, our protagonist or Donald's protagonist in the story is very jealous of Rodriguez because he, he's effortlessly cool and charming and gets the ladies. And, um, I just could hear how it should go. I don't know. I, I just kind of emptied my mind and, and started letting my hands, uh, play chords and singing some melodies. And, um, and it just kind of came together and I was so happy with it. And then also very nervous that Donald would not like it. But when he came back and said, great track, great song, it was uh, one of the best feathers that I could ever imagine having in, a, in my cap. <laughs> Put it that way. I once rode with an angel through the
James, who's better at writing Steely Dan music than I am, <laughs> wrote the music to it. And we took it, we Steely Dan it right into the middle distance, you know, and thrilled ourselves doing it. Yeah. Thank you, Donald Fagan, you kind fucker. It's fantastic. And I remember the very first time I heard of James, shortly after you met him, um, we were at a CSN show, and you took me out to the band bus, or some bus, your bus probably, uh, to pop a cassette in a little tape deck and play me a song called Morrison. Mm. And I, I said to you at the time, I said, that's the best song Steely Dan never played. <laughs> and you could it, tell that, yeah, okay, well. Big time. Here's several things in a row. One, he knew I loved Steely Dan. Right. Two, he loved Steely Dan. Right. Three, that was the first time that I realized what my son had under the hood. I really didn't know until that moment. And when he came with that set of words and he played, he'd written that music to it, I nearly died. It just it freaked me out how good he was. And then he got better. Locked in a Paris graveyard Kang is on first song that David and I collaborated on was Morrison. Um, he had heard some of my music, I think, and realized that I could play, I could write and, and sing. And he came to my house here in Altadena um, one day and brought a set of lyrics, the lyrics to Morrison, and just said, hey, see, see what hits you with this, you know, see what you can do with this. And... Uh, you know, I, I, f I felt immense pressure to come up with something good uh, only because, you know, I didn't want to screw it up and uh, have him hate it. Um, so I, you know, I took, I took a few stabs at it um, because I wanted it to be really good. And um, I remember you know, thinking about his relationship with Joni and, and we had bonded over our love of Joni and I was freaking out that, you know, he produced her first record and everything. And um, so when I sat down to write that song, I just tried to kind of channel Joni in some way, like think about what she might write <laughs> to these lyrics. Um, and and then I just let it flow and I said, well, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, sing it and play it and show him and uh thank goodness he loved it like on first listen he uh he got real quiet and i was super nervous and he said rewind it play it again and we we just sat in my driveway you know in my truck and listened to it and he got a big smile on his face and that that's when i knew that it was kind of game on like we were going to have some fun making music together 
And also, there's something about the the rhythm of that song that lets you swing really hard over it. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. He can't help swinging, man. Yeah. He, he's, you know, he, he really can't help it. It's just yeah. built in. Some people just have that stills, you know, I was talking yeah. about. Uh, James is like that. Yeah. He he could play, he'd be, he could be a drummer, no problem. He he does play drums well. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, no, yeah. he plays. His main thing is a keyboard because keyboard can now do anything. Mm -hmm. Keyboard can be drums, bass, guitar, piano, horns, harp, harpsichord, car crash, <laughs> anything, flute, mm -hmm. any instrument on in the world is now sampled at high grade to a keyboard. Several of the guitar solos on the record that you are talking about, that you liked, were not done on the guitar. Right. Yeah, they even sound like flamenco guitar. Like, there's one. That flamenco right. one. I, yeah. It's amazing. It's that's changed. A, that one, uh, Curved Air. Yes, Curved Air with flamenco guitar. Crazy. Okay, well, on this record, yep. there are guitar solos, mm. okay? On our hit single, River Rise? Yes. That hot guitar on there? Yes. James. That's awesome. Keyboard. That is so awesome. How did you get Michael McDonald involved in singing on that track? I threatened his life. <laughs> Simple, you know. No, um, Michael and I, man, are, are buddies. We've uh -huh. been friends for a very long time. I admire him tremendously, as you know. Uh, I've said for probably the last 10 years, when somebody says, well, who's the best guy singer? I would say uh, Stevie Wonder and Michael McDonald. And I'd say, I, I don't know anybody better than them. So River Rise, it does sound like a hit single, actually, I have to say. Well, I've it's been really saying to catchy. people, you know, the, the, the story that I've been, that I've been proposing, yes. <laughs> putting out there, yes. is that I have, and I have said this a number of times, James, write us a goddamn single so we can make some money, so yeah. we can pay the rent, for yeah. God's sakes. Uh, and uh, James always laughed it off and just kept trucking. Because he yeah. doesn't give a shit about making money, and he doesn't give a shit about that any of that. He he cares about making great songs. But in the course of making great songs, he just happened to also make a single. Right. right. He just uh, he had a a moment where that's where it went. I don't think he set out to write it as a single. He set yeah. out to write it as a great song, and it is. It's very rousing. It's awesome. And he didn't have the second verse, and he mm. asked me to write it. Mm. I tried. I didn't come up with it. Michael shows up to do the choruses, huh. and he says, Michael, what should the second verse be? And Michael huh. said, how about, and then he wrote the second verse. Oh, wow. Kaboom. Yeah, that's great. And David and I were talking about, you know, the harmony uh, 
parts on it. And I, I told him, you know, what would be great on this is Michael McDonald. Um, I had heard them, you know, only briefly sing, I, you know, maybe in a, in a studio or, or somewhere. And I had met Michael at the Libero up in Santa Barbara. He's one of my all-time heroes uh, musically as a writer, singer, p- keyboard player, pianist. He's, uh, he's kind of at the apex for me. So getting to meet him was a huge thrill. And I, I guess selfishly, I was, I was plugging that in hopes that I might get to work with Michael on a record, you know. Um, I just thought that. And I knew that the blend of their voices would be great on this song. And uh, so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll ask him. And so I, he put me in touch with Michael. We spoke and he said, sure, I'd love, love to sing on it. Um, and I said, well, I can come up to Santa Barbara, you know, and to your studio or anywhere. And he said, no, you know, I'll, I'll come down to your place in Altadena. And um, that was kind of unbelievable that Michael McDonald was coming to my little home studio. Uh, it, was, it was kind of surreal. I mean, you have to understand, I worshipped, you know, the Doobie Brothers. And um, going back to, I think I was 19, you know, when I saw them at the forum on the real love tour with my buddy, Victor Rocha, we were huge Michael McDonald and Doobie brother fans. And, you know, my friend Victor's always been a huge champion. And he, he said something like, you'll, you'll get to work with him one day, <laughs> you know, it only took 40 years, but he was right. You know, he, uh, he nailed it. Um, so Michael came to my studio and, and was just so gracious and so cool. Um, and at that point, I had, I think I had a verse and a half written and the chorus is written. So I knew we wanted him singing uh, harmony on the choruses. So I knew we could get that done. Um, but I, in the course of doing that, I told him, you know, I'm really stuck on this bridge. I, I can't seem to, I can't crack it. And, and this other verse. And he said, well, let's, uh, he goes, let's work on it if, if you'd like. And I, I thought, well, yeah, you know. Why not? So, he, you know, we proceeded to finish the song and he sang all the backgrounds that day um, here at my studio. And yeah, it, it was incredible. Like, he's so good. Um, and and he got David's melodies right away and, uh, you know, created this blend with David on the choruses that's pretty unstoppable. So that that's another one of those, uh, you know, pinch yourself moments uh, getting to do that with Michael It's light in California The voices are speaking low And the wheels line up Point the direction they want to go The cold is hanging on now The heat will be here soon And the same old thought Coming back around like a black moon Let the river rise Open up the skies Not gonna wash away Let the walls come down Turn around into a fortress Let the river rise Open up the skies
What a powerful song. The opening track on David's new album, For Free, out July 23rd. Please join us for the next episode of Freak Flag Flying, where we explore how forming the band CPR with his son James Raymond and guitarist Jeff Pivar liberated them all to become more creative and freshen up the arrangements of cross classics like Deja Vu and Homeward Through the Haze. We'll also talk about young singer-songwriter Sarah DeRosa's Heavenly Harmony on the title track of For Free. This Freak Flag Flying podcast was brought to you by Osiris Media. Find them and many other music podcasts at OsirisPod.com. Thank you, David Crosby. Thank you, James Raymond. And special thanks for allowing us to feature your wonderful music, CPR, and of course, David Crosby. Thank you also to Joel Jack Studios and to Hyde Street Studios' Jack Kurtzman and William Chasen for being totally cool dudes. Interviews by me, Steve Silverman. Produced by Zach Brogan and Tom Marshall. Art by Mark Dowd. Remember, friends, music is love. See you down the road on the next episodes of Freak Flag Flying. After sold-out runs at the Public Theater and London's National Theater, Here Lies Love, the groundbreaking musical from David Byrne and Fatboy Slim, opens on Broadway this summer. Get swept up in what Vogue calls a life-giving, roof-raising blast of pure joy about the rise and fall of Imelda Marcos at the hands of the Philippine People Power Revolution. Here Lies Love is a revolutionary experience unlike any other on Broadway. It's a party and you're invited. Get tickets at herelieslovebroadway.com. After sold-out runs at the Public Theater and London's National Theater, Here Lies Love, the groundbreaking musical from David Byrne and Fatboy Slim, opens on Broadway this summer. Get swept up in what Vogue calls a life-giving, roof-raising blast of pure joy about the rise and fall of Imelda Marcos at the hands of the Philippine People Power Revolution. Here Lies Love is a revolutionary experience unlike any other on Broadway. It's a party and you're invited. Get tickets at herelieslovebroadway.com. Osiris. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform.